welcome to the AABMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AABMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill. I am the Senior Director for Institutional Research and diversity at the AABMC. So on today's show, I have the pleasure um, of chatting with one of my favorite people in veterinary medicine. She and I have attended countless meetings, countless meetings, (laughs) had many, many glasses of red wine, We've talked Old Testament (laughs) theology in an airport one time. Uh, We've discussed ways of getting rid of furniture we no longer need. She's awesome. She's so awesome. She's brilliant. She's funny. And she happens to also be the first African-American woman to be dean of a school of veterinary medicine in the U.S. Yes, y'all, we are talking to Dr. Ruby Perry of Tuskegee University today. Hi, Ruby. <laughs> well, what a pleasure to talk with you today, Miss Lisa. And and yes, we go way back, and it's a pleasure to have you as one of my favorite colleagues as as well, because we can uh, agree to disagree, yes. but yet have fun <laughs> at it, which yes. is part of uh, changing life, things in life uh, in general. Yes. And so I, is, it is a pleasure to have this chat with you. Yes. Um, I, but just just a correction. Um, I I do white wine and you do <laughs> the red wine. You're right. You're and right. So, <laughs> just, just for our audience. Sake. Yes. Just in case, you know, and, anybody. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, is I have to um, say that my husband doesn't approve of my drinking any alcoholic beverages, but you know, I have to remind him that he was once in the world as well. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed, indeed. And yes, if anybody is also interested in our theological question, we both have a a love of the book of Job. It's a long story. Anyway, (laughs) like we had a good time with that chat. Anyway, Dr. Perry really is the 2021 Iverson Bell Awardee. Uh, for folks that don't know who Iverson Bell was, he was the first African-American vice president of the American Veterinary Medical Association way back in the day. AAVMC has the Iverson Bell Award. It is given in his memory um, and in recognition of his outstanding leadership and contributions to the promotion of diversity in veterinary medical education. So, yes, most deserving this year. We're so delighted. Congratulations. Uh, We uh, made the award earlier this year in January, no, in March. And um, uh, Ruby is always so super busy that here it is August and I'm just getting her on the show to sit down and chat about her story. So uh, for folks that don't know much about you, Ruby, why don't you uh, share a little bit about yourself and your background? Okay, good, good. It's, well, I was uh, born in the South in um, a small town called Tougaloo, Mississippi. It's it's a town that housed one of the uh, historically uh, black colleges uh, and university universities, HBCUs called T- Tougaloo uh, 
uh, uh, Tougaloo College. And, but I, I spent most of my life in the Midwest in Michigan, actually in East Lansing and Lansing, Michigan, where I worked there for over 22 uh, years. So I actually enjoyed the change of seasons and I, I missed the snow, <laughs> uh, especially a, fr a fresh fall of snow on uh, those snow covered uh, trees. Now I was, when I was there at, at Michigan State, I remember a colleague and I, we were the only ones that would put our background, uh, background uh, on our computers with snow covered uh, trees. I, I didn't enjoy the ice, but the, the, uh, the snow oh. uh, in particular. And I, I, I am, I just wanted to also say, and you've said it already, that I'm the seventh and first female dean in the College of Veterinary Medicine at uh, Tuskegee University. I'm a veterinary radiologist by discipline. I'm married to a veterinarian who works for USDA FSIS, and he has a love for that part of veterinary medicine. And we have three children, two decided to stay in Michigan. They did not want to follow us uh, to the, back to the South. So they're in Michigan and I have one in England. And I have 10 grandchildren ranging from ages two through 21, three boys and uh, seven girls. And because of the pandemic, which is a good thing, there are some good things that have come out of that is that we meet every Sunday by Zoom. And we've been doing that for the last couple of, uh, well, about a year and a half. So that's a little bit about um, me and my background. Wow. Wow. So Ruby, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into diversity work, which probably is uh, obvious for some folks, but maybe not everybody. So how did how did you end up really kind of, you know, getting on out there and, and starting to really talk about diversity? Well, Lisa, while I, I just reflect a moment while growing up in the South and uh, I realized at an early age, you know, the obvious inequities of access and opportunities and just plain necessities of living mm -hmm. among people, particularly underrepresented minorities, African-Americans in particular, of which I experienced uh, directly. Um, I, I was one of, of a few Black students from, the, from my small town called Tougaloo who um, we were taught how to survive in an all-white high school. As we were uh, sent in groups to desegregate a high school in, in Jackson, Mississippi, which was just next, a street over uh, from my community. So it, it was then, uh, during that time, and I was in uh, elementary school, um, where I learned much from the civil rights leaders, mm -hmm. and they taught us how to survive those survival skills in those in environments that, that, that you're gonna be faced with hatred and mm -hmm. overt racism. And yet you still had to demonstrate the courage to achieve and, and be successful in spite of those profound challenges and obstacles. So I'm, I'm, I was introduced to that work in terms of uh, diversity, that's where it started. And even in that high school, I could start seeing the change because there were six students in my class, 10th grade at that time, 
And then I went 10th grade, 11th and 12th. And then just to see the number of black students that followed us um, as part of that effort. And so that's when I realized, okay, there is, I can make a difference in, in my background and my training and what I have experienced and wanted to do something so that others um, could make a difference as well. Wow. So, so then you became a veterinarian. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, actually, um, Dr. Roland Powell, who was a Tuskegee grad, was a veterinarian. So I went to Jackson State University and actually I wanted to be um, a mathematician, I don't, I love math, I love numbers. Wow. And so I worked my way through um, college and my mother said, well, you know, I, we can only do so much. Yes. So I worked for a veterinarian and actually, and, and I said, oh my gosh, this is an exciting field. So I started cleaning cages and, um, and just sort of observed him once he started uh, using me as a vet assistant. And oh my gosh, he was a wonderful advocate again, uh, which is part of advocacy and, mm -hmm. and recognizing that, you know, you have those uh, traits and skills that you can develop to be a veterinarian. So he saw that in my interest in how he could, it was almost like an animal, a pet whisperer. You know, he could, and I, I was so intrigued by that, how he could actually uh, take a uh, look at a pet, examine the pet, and then really uh, made a difference in that pet's life. Wow. And so I said, oh my gosh, I think I might, I want to do this. And so that's, so I'm one of those late bloomers in terms of my career as a veterinarian. And, you know, the, the rest is history. So I prepared, wow. I, I changed my major uh, to biology and, and I uh, got prepared for veterinary medicine and, and started that journey. Wow. Wow. So uh, for folks that are uh, watching and listening, exposure works. <laughs> exposure <Yeah>. programming works. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, uh, yes, it does. I, you know, and I might not have a chance to say this when we talk about different various journeys. And we know that our journey is, is it's, it's convoluted. We don't have yeah. a straight journey to our outcome of what we're going right. to achieve right. in life. It's, it's, com it's going to be convoluted. It's what you do on that convoluted journey. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I finished veterinary school, uh, here I go again, I wanted to be uh, a surgeon. And then, uh, and this is where I'm gonna throw in Pat Lowry's name and Dr. Dave's <laughs> name, because then uh, my, Mrs. Lowry came to me when I finished my internship and she said, oh, by the way, you're going to Michigan State for a residency in radiology. And I said, oh, I don't think so. Uh, number one, I haven't been out the South and, um, and I don't like the snow. I, I don't like the cold weather. And she just said, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be just fine. <laughs> so, that, and so one day, I, the next thing I knew, I was on a, a plane to Michigan. And that was another wonderful journey as well, because he prepared me for my, um, my academic life mm -hmm. and my leadership life. So I took advantage of that 
uh, convoluted journey as as well. Really, <laughs> she like recruited you into radiology. Too. You know, yeah, because sometimes people see. Something, uh, uh, something in in us that we don't see in ourselves, and yeah. so they have to just help us as champions and advocates to say, you know what, you 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 have this this skill, you have this art, you have this potential. You just need to develop it. And mm-hmm. I was already I had already learned about being courageous. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I I had some some challenges there as well. Sure, sure. Uh, but I had to overcome those and stay focused on uh, what I wanted to be. And and going through veterinary school, I didn't even like radiology. It's like, oh my god, I thought it was so difficult. But then I realized, oh my gosh, this is I have a passion for making students see mm. on the on that uh, two two images of what they they couldn't see, and, and it's, it just reminded me of back on my experience uh, with desegregation is I, I was taught then to survive. How do you make a person see what they don't see that is best for mm. the good, the common good? And so that's, that's and so I enjoyed that. It's, it was like a, another discovery. And here that was another journey that I really enjoyed. What a wonderful nugget, because I'm not sure in all of my years of hanging around that I have heard someone encapsulate their love, their passion for their um, specialty area and tying it to kind of this experience of um, of diversity, like in this um, in, in that work and kind of helping to, yeah, create um spaces and and things where folks learn to see what they couldn't see before right the realities of of life right so how did you then um you know through all of this certainly i'm sure that that um all of the experiences that you brought from mississippi kind of tag along right along with you so you know how did you kind of really get into diversity and inclusion work um within the you know, your career, which was, you know, it's, it's been robust and, you know, you've been a busy, busy woman many years in veterinary medicine. And so, you know, how did um, diversity and inclusion work really kind of fit into that? Okay. So, um, and along my convoluted uh, professional veterinary career, actually it, it, it adds uh, an adventure uh, and as veterinarians or it's professionals, uh, there is always that dis- that discovery. What can I do better the next time? How can I change that uh, the next time? So uh, along this convoluted professional veterinary career, you know, I find myself uh, solo by myself uh, relative to race or, or one of a, a very few, might be not just me, but others um, in the diversity uh, space. So first of all, it's I know I realize that it's not mentally uh, or professionally healthy to represent an entire race or represent diversity in an organization. But you know, when I went to Michigan State, I had to realize that you know, even though I don't want to, but I do. I have to tackle those microaggressions and the macroaggressions. And at that time. They weren't called micro and macro. They were just called subtle racism. 
but when I, you know, I noticed that many of those went unnoticed. I could I recognize uh, some of those, uh, but there were persons there that also recognized, but they didn't do much about it because there were no repercussions. So you needed someone of courage to be able to say, you know what, you need to recognize that. You need to be the advocate for somebody who can't be so in, in these spaces themselves. So just for those simple reasons, diversity and inclusion are so very important in the enrichment of my veterinary career. And even though I might have not done that just so good, just uh, as well as I could have uh, to make a difference. And I wasn't successful all the time. Uh, were there tears and, and words, choice words I had to make? Absolutely. But I always remembered my training. And, and for those persons who were my advocates and my champions to say, you know what? You can do this. You can make it. Because there were times when I wanted to give up. But I know that that work is so important and it's, it's so beneficial and it's so rewarding. Mm. And so I, I, want, I wanted to continue to see where else could I make those uh, such an impact. And so um, I am also sure, sure that I share the same sentiment, sentiments as others who've been excluded because of race or, or ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation and, and, and other groups. So we may never understand why people are, who are different than ourselves or excluded, intentionally excluded yeah, yeah. Or, or treated badly, but we know what is morally right. Mm. We just do not exercise doing the right thing. So once you you know it's morally right, then you have to be courageous to do make a difference. So for me, I plan to be impactful until death do us part. Oh, that sounds like something at marriage. Okay, so that's a commitment of uh, being impactful for change and yeah, and our beloved veterinary profession, which my career is a part of. Yeah. and uh, I must I must change uh, to be a more diverse and more inclusive uh, as I do as a veterinarian and all veterinarians also. Sure. So um, what do you think uh, have been some of the most impactful things that you've been engaged in with respect to diversity and inclusion over the life of your career? Well, if I, if I, I I can start with, um, as an advocate for students, I can start there because, you know, our students are our best, our best um, product of what we do. And if I go back to, to Michigan State and remember the students that I were, that I was an advocate for, some of the things, and I can, I'm not going to share some of those, um, uh, the example, sure. but I can just overall say that I started there as an advocate uh, for students and particularly female students. And I did the same thing when I did my first journey at Tuskegee as well is how, you know, if a student is experiencing in, um, some adverse um, environment and they just need someone to talk to, 
And I, and, and here, here we go, I'm a black female now, and these are white students, but I didn't look at the, the racial um, piece. I just, that's a student. And so I was, I started there. So that, uh, so I look back then as students and being in the role that I am in now, my impact on colleagues and women in particular, and how they, um, and it depends on their environment and how they have uh, sometimes feel that they can't do a leadership role, but yes, they can. But it's always good to have someone, you know, being there for your support to say, yes, you can. Yes, you can do this. But no one wants to re- jump out there um, by themselves. And you know, this, this saying about, I have your back. Yeah. And then you look back and you go, gosh, you are way back. You're not really <laughs> right behind me. You are way, how far back are you? <laughs> so sometimes it's difficult to yeah. lead without yeah. that, you know, the support people to say, you know, I'm right there with you. And then I think once um, we feel that and know that, then it's just that you get that energy yeah. and you just start moving ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that is so great. It it really is. It's just so great. And you're right. Yeah. When folks say that, you know, uh, I got you, I got your back and (laughs) they're like two miles back there. (laughs) (laughs) Might not be as helpful, I think, as, you know, when you started out assuming that you had more support. Right. And so, um, it's so important to, yeah. When you say you have somebody's back to actually, be able to see their back. (laughs) (laughs) At least be able to. And then, you know, you get this other thing too, is that when you call your, you know, when you have true advocates and true champions, they are truly there for you. And they're far and few, few. And so we have to really um, cherish those persons and that everybody who say they're your advocate or champion um, is not, but you can test that. Because when you really need them and you call them, they go, oh, um, uh, I'm busy right now. Can you call me tomorrow? And then tomorrow never gets there. Mm. So, you know, you can just let that one go. Uh, But you have to reach and search those advocates and champions uh, also. Mm -hmm. They're there. You just got to find them. So I was able to find many of them uh, at Michigan State also. And that's why I survived there for over 22 years. (laughs) And I had fun along the way. You know, it's one of those where uh, when you know that you're good at something, you're good at something. And, you know, there is, uh, you know, you land, you will land in a good space. Oh, that's great. So Ruby, tell me what it was like to find out that you were the 2021 Iverson Bell Award recipient. Well. That was um, that was a day that I was, first of all, I was shocked and surprised. And, and you know, I get so busy fulfilling my own purpose of, uh, you know, helping others to achieve their professional aspirations. And I get a joy out of that. And I, I don't think about myself. I really don't. And, um, you know, when you're doing things, it's your purpose when you fulfill your purpose and you enjoy what you do, you really don't think about yourself. And sometimes I do have to stop and go, you know what? I need to tell other people what I'm doing 
But I get engulfed in my work, uh, which I so enjoy, and, and I'm inspired by others to even do more. So when I when I received such awesome news, I was I was first of all, I was humbled with gratitude and and overjoyed that I I was recognized by my peers and my colleagues for for my contributions that I see as a part of my daily work. Mm. And so to be recognized by the work of Dr. Arvison Bell, who was a, he was a solo, too and his leadership work in diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession. So I was honored to receive it. And I, I, it, just, it just reminds me that I am okay, I'm good with the work that I'm doing, and I'm gonna strive to make a lasting difference. And I remember in that letter that I received from Dr. McCade, it didn't say just make a difference. It says make a lasting difference. A difference and move the needle for change, regardless of how much um, it, the impact that it makes. And some people think that I can do this work and make a huge impact. No, you make a lasting impact, mm. a lasting mm. difference. It does. It could be small. And I, you know, I have this thing where you be a raindrop because one raindrop, then another raindrop, and it makes a puddle. Then the puddle makes a a larger puddle, and then it. It makes a stream, then it makes a river, then it makes an ocean. So those are the impacts that we all can make as uh, raindrops. Wow, that's beautiful. So what would you like to see more of related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in veterinary medicine? What would you, you know, if you could just kind of whip out a pad and... (laughs) give us all instructions on what to do next, what would you what would you like to see more of? You know, I I would like to see you know people of influence um, more involved or engaged in the actual work of diversity and inclusion, and not just talk about it or uh, just make a one time impact. And I'm going to go back to that lasting impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as I stated before, is that, you know, we are the least diverse. Why do we, we don't want to carry that. What can we do to start uh, correcting that? So what I, we can correct the wrong that we know and we see. So if everybody, each person decides that, especially when you see it, my gosh, do you, do you, does that keep you up at night when you see something, somebody who is uh, mis- misused uh, or abused or and it, I'm not talking about physical I'm talking about yeah. mental I mean there's a yeah there's a lot of mental abuse going on and how can you just not do anything about it how can I mean and if I even me in my own diverse environment and there are a lot of women I have to look up and say well where are the men I, I have to be more conscious uh, intentional about having a diverse uh, outcome, a diverse environment. And it's, it's, it's easy to just reach out to those we know and to see every day. It's so easy. And forget about those people from various backgrounds that we need to seek out. So you look, you have to say, oh my gosh, this looks so homogeneous. What can I do? What, what are the opportunities that I can provide to someone else? Because they bring another level of um, 
of uh, uh, contribution that we would never think of because we're so surrounded by our, who we see every day. And, and so I, if I could just say, you know what I would, if I could, I would take a pers- persons from various backgrounds and, uh, and inclusion, et cetera, and then just drop them into those spaces. But I, of course, you know, I can't do that, but you asked me if I could. <laughs> yes. You know what? Good. You could. Then, but you know what would happen? They would go, oh my gosh, I wish I had seen that before. Mm. And then they and then the development of the collegiality and what they bring to those spaces. Mm. Oh my gosh. Then they recognize that um this is this is good. Um uh, they because the inclusion with their contributions, their pre- their presence, their perspectives coming from different uh uh, perspectives in what they do and the and bring that into the environment. Oh my gosh, how great is that? And not just see it as a token. Oh my gosh, come on, let's not see it as a token. This is these are people who bring greatness mm-hmm. and to the organization that you would never think of unless they are put there. But you you know you have to make sure that that environment is conducive. Uh, to them in their growth. So, wow. So I hear a couple of things in your uh, want to see more of. So I'm hearing you want to see more leaders be courageous and step up and stick a leg out there. <laughs> stick a leg out there and do some work, um, you know, really kind of uh, get in there. But also um, this, uh, the opportunity um, to learn to see the things, um, harking, echoing back your earlier comments of seeing things that you didn't see before and making, and, and then not just seeing them, but then making the necessary corrections to create that more hospitable place. That's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, we all want to see more of that. So how long have you been at, um, uh, at Tuskegee now? And, and tell us about uh, your role as dean and kind of how yeah, tell us all about Tuskegee. Okay, well, let's see. I uh, when I left Michigan State, I've been at Tuskegee. This is my second journey uh, at Tuskegee. So I've been like um, uh, a ping pong ping pong <laughs> ball. Uh, I go to I went to, when I left Michigan State after my uh, I stayed on for a year, and then uh, came to Tuskegee from eighty two to eighty eight. Then I went back to Michigan State and. Uh, just enjoy, again, enjoy both of those uh, spaces. So when I arrived at Tuskegee on my second trip uh, in 2007, I was recruited as the Associate Dean of Academic Affairs. And I, I thought at that time, I, I, I said, okay, let, I wanna try something different, but stay in the veterinary profession and see how I can impact um, the professionals, you know, the yeah. faculty and the staff, not just fa- faculty, but staff uh, as well, and continue the impact on, on students. So it was, it was then that I realized that there were barriers in, in a diverse environment. Yeah. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was taken aback when I found that I was, as, a, as my career and what I had achieved, that there were some barriers with women in leadership roles. 
And so I said, okay, here we go again. I go again, go back to my training is that I have to, I've got to change that. So I, I worked through those, um, those barriers by learning more about the culture. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, this is a different culture um, in the college and at the university. So I found ways to impact change for other women uh, to follow. So of course it took, again, a lot of uh, courageous conversations and asking now, okay, now I don't understand why they're doing it this way, but how do I make a change with that? Well, of course, you know, I had to volunteer for committees <laughs> that I wanted to impact. Uh, again, more work on my plate. But if you want to make a change, you've got that's what you got to do. And you've got to be in a position so that your voice can be heard. Mm. Your voice can be heard. And you uh, put people on notice in a very collegial uh, kind of way. And of course, I did a lot of laughing and smiling. That's what keeps me going from day to day. And, and so I, um, I demonstrated to them that I could really be effective as, uh, as a leader. And when I had that opportunity, I made sure that I was effective so I could, they could see uh, the outcome. So I was very proud of removing some of those barriers. And then what, where it got me was to the dean. And so when I was appointed dean, and that was another, and for, the, for those of us who uh, uh, presented with these opportunities, Lisa, it gets, it's not, I'm just saying it is not easy. Yeah. That you, you even question your own ability. You, you question, oh my God, can I really do this? But when it keeps coming back to you, <laughs> it's like, okay, I, okay I'm going to try it. I see it as a carousel. You know, you're on the carousel mm-hmm. and if you can jump off the carousel at some point and look from a distance sometimes and you say, OK, is that what I really want to do? And if you if if it really keeps coming back to you, get back on and give it a go, give it a go again. So mm-hmm. when I became dean, one of my first initiative was to develop a diversity and inclusion committee of faculty, staff, and students, because we we have such a diverse um, environment. But just listening to um, faculty, staff, and students, I don't think we we had a good grasp on diversity in our own diverse space. So um, that that committee is ongoing and actively engaged in DNI activities. To not only increase awareness of the importance of diversity, but how can we be even more inclusive in our own uh, spaces? So I am, and the other thing is, I am constantly encouraging faculty and and staff to develop uh, themselves as potential leaders. And that leadership is not for everybody, but there are a lot of people who have leadership abilities that they just don't recognize that they can can do it. So I. I, I see it. And I go, you know what? You should try such and such. And, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, OK, here, let's how about this development opportunity. OK, some of the uh, junior faculty have been able to give faculty, I mean, give scholarships for them to go back and maybe do another degree. And so I try to develop them uh, for these leadership roles because we're lacking of people. People just want to do status quo. Just, oh, well, I'm good. I'm fine. But we need some brave leaders that can, um, because we need that. Yeah. 
to, in our in the veterinary profession. Yeah, brave leaders, brave leaders. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think that I'm so glad that you talked about um, diversity challenges at a historically black college because I think that that for folks that have never been on a campus, never visited an HBCU or other minority serving institution, that you know there that that there's this kind of diversity utopia. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> You know, some of the diversity issues might look different, um, but they're the same issues. Just <laughs> they just look a little different. You know, that is that is correct. It, the, the, if you, you got we have international uh, faculty um, and we have some international students and they come from different cultures. Yeah. And you can't we just because we all people of color don't mean that we understand that. Yes. And so why, you know, and, and then, you know, when we used to have our holiday celebrations, really, I just, it's, there's <laughs> some things that you just, you have to be more conscious of yeah. uh, in what you say. And um, so, yeah, we had to have some, some training. Our very first activity was for people from different backgrounds to share mm. their various cultures. And it was, it was an eye opening for many people. And why, why the culture is like it is, and it was it was enjoyable to hear, yeah. and then recognize that we have to be more conscious that we are just because I was born in the South don't mean that everybody's going to act like Southerners, uh, etc. And you get students from all over the country, all over the world. Yeah, yeah. So just because you got people from the East Coast that have to recognize their differences on the West Coast, North and South. Yeah. So we all got to work together. So there's we all of the of uh, color uh, black, but there's differences yeah. even within that culture that we absolutely. And then when we once we start layering on, you know, intersectional kind of identities, like to your point. So you you know you get to Tuskegee and you find that there's some gender barriers there, yeah. right? Race may not be the number one issue, but then here, oh, okay. So so we're still dealing with the patriarchy here, okay? <laughs> well, and as you know, the South <laughs> is the Bible belt. Yes, uh, and yes. So we, yeah, yeah, we got, we got, we have to learn how to be inclusive. Right. And so yeah. that's very important in, yeah. in this environment. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, because like I know under your leadership, I know that the students, um, you know, uh, were able to um, start uh, a um, an LGBT plus uh, group at uh, Tuskegee. And again, and especially in, uh, you know, Southern Bible Belt, even among African-Americans, like on issues of queerness, the population could be pretty conservative about that, right? And so, yeah. you know, so yeah, I think that, you know, I, I, I do, um, I'm glad that you kind of opened that up because I do think that sometimes people think that um, minority serving institutions, um, which are really important um, uh, entrees into higher education and beyond for a lot of a lot of folks in this country, but, you know, folks kind of assume outside looking in, oh, that must be just a diversity utopia and, good on them. Like, so we'll just, you know, <laughs> go over here and go work here. No, no. Everybody's got to do work. Everybody's got to do work. So yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
So um, what are some of the things that you're you're working on now? DEI. I know you're busy. What are you working <laughs> on, Ruby? <laughs> well, well, I, I, I um, so from the veterinary profession and you know this already, but I'll just I'll just say this and uh, for the for the people on this on this podcast. But I am um, serving as co-chair with my colleague, Dr. Christine Jenkins. And, and so we're co-chair in the AVMA, AAVMC Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Commission. And it includes uh, members. And we also have advi- uh, advisory members or advisory board uh, also. You know, this, this, this group was formed um, with the commitment from uh, Dr. Doug Kratt who is the president, outgoing president of uh, AVMA and uh, Dr. Mark uh, Markell, who is the outgoing president of AAVMC. And so, you know, that's, and now I talk about that, you know, that's the first commitment for change is that starts at the top. Yeah. And because they uh, were committed to changing that landscape, um, they formed this commission. And so the, you know, the overall goal is to develop a roadmap uh, change to assist schools and colleges of veterinary medicine, veterinarians, you know, VMAs, animal health industry, and other affinity group affinity groups, you know, to work together. How can we work together to change the landscape of the veterinary profession that is labeled as the least diverse of all the healthcare professions? And we, we want to get rid of that stigma. Now, if it's true, it is true. We know that. <laughs> That's true. Now let's accept that. No, no, we're not going to accept it. We're going to recognize that it is, and then we're going to find ways to change it. And that's a start. You know, as you and I have said now, and I'm going to say this. uh, First of all, let me say this. We know that the future of veterinary medicine is strengthened by the diversity of its members. That has been demonstrated. But Black folk are not the ones to change it. It is white folk and other folk that need to change that because they're the ones that's standing in their own way. We are there to assist. Yeah, yeah. We, we're here, and so I, I you know, I, I have to constantly remind people that in your own spaces, you, you, if you look around and you see that there is no diversity, there is no inclusiveness, then you got to make that change. Yeah. Yeah, you got to see it and make that change. But yeah, this is something I, I tell people often that, you know, marginalized peoples, whether it's by race or gender, like, you know, certainly we can work and advocate and do all the things to, to push things forward. But this is a problem that directly affects us, but it's actually not our problem. <laughs> like, we cannot, like, we can go charging up the hill over and over again, but unless dominant culture, whether it is, you know, um, uh, white or straight or male or urban, whatever it is, like, that dominant culture has to make a choice. Yes. Um, to be more inclusive, to, um, you know, um, change and evolve the ways that they engage with other people. And that includes, I mean, and, and certainly each of us have areas of privilege, right? So we're both yes. um, um, educated, um, you know, and certainly there are some correlations. We might have um, been one socioeconomic class you know, many, many years ago, but we are in a different class now. Um, and there are certainly um, privileges that are true with that. 
but we're also still <laughs> walking, <laughs> um, um, you know, with certain identities that are just, that we're just born with, and this is just how it is. And, you know, um, and we're subjected to things because of that. And, and so, you know, helping people see that, um, I think is our job, um, helping people, um, you know, think of ways and, and move to move the needle to become more inclusive, but also um, to really practice um, equity and, and inclusion and belonging and all of those things. But again, these, this is a problem that affects us. <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. We, yeah, we, we are affected uh, by it, but, you know, people, and, you know, I hear this and we could take a moment to talk about this. Well, we can't find any people of color. We can't find any black people. Well, you can't ask another person uh, look like you for folk. So if I wanted to find more people from another culture, another ethnic group or inclusive, how about asking those people? <laughs> then they would find them for you rather than, well, yes. because it's easy to just say that. It's so yes. easy to say yes. that. Uh, and then if you're looking to recruit a specialist, when how about somebody training and educating them so you could have a pool? You know, yeah. that was one uh, really uh, good outcome that Michigan State did under Pat Lowry is that many of us were trained at Michigan State. And so we had a really uh, good pool of specialists, board certified specialists that other colleges and universities could pull from. But that that pipeline has dried up. So mm. there's there's and so we we know what works. We just have to realize and do the work. Yeah. And again, it's just not just black people. We uh, people in in the in the seat in the leadership yes. role got to got to do. That. Yes. 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 Leaders have to step up, and dominant groups have to step up. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, what has been the most rewarding chapter in your career? Um, oh, there's there's so many because um, I, I, I can, let me, I'll just say this is that I have served uh, in every leadership role in higher education. Yeah, and yeah. and be, and when I when I went back and and you when I was doing my PhD in educational leadership, that's when I realized you know what I think uh, in order to uh, make a lasting difference and impact change, I need to be in a position where I can do that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I paid for that degree by myself, and uh, in debt indebtedness, indebted. <laughs> As you know, because you were back I do know. as well, and <laughs> we were struggling through that. Oh my God! But let me tell you. You know, I I said to myself. So so you asked me about most rewarding, uh, and I'm, I've had so many. Yeah. I just there there just so many. But I think the most impactful one, uh, just recently, was going back and get a PhD. And I wonder why. And I don't need a PhD. Why am I doing this? But then I realized later, and I'm going to leave with this, is that sometimes when opportunities are presented to us and sometimes we don't understand why, it will reveal itself later. So as dean and PhD students who go through what they have to go through and they're, and they're complaining 
I say, listen, this, let me share with you my experience. And yes, you can do this. And I didn't realize that now um, I can be on a PhD uh, committee because of that. Yeah. And then helping those students that want to give up. And not, I mean, I got my DVM because I do the help with the DVM students. Yeah. yeah. But all it did was it exposed me to a different world that yeah. I could still impact change. And I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that at the time. Yeah. And so again, another convoluted journey uh, that I took. And it's a different environment of where I can impact change in, in the in graduate programs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, uh, um, we definitely had a lot of overlap in our programs. We <laughs> talked a lot. Um, it, it's not easy and it's definitely not easy when you got a few years under your belt <laughs> and a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But I also want our listeners and viewers to know that, uh, Dean Perry is also being, she, she alluded to, I've served in all of these different roles in higher ed. And then she didn't, you know, she just kind of glossed over the fact that, uh, <laughs> you you know, she has also served as an interim president of, of the university. And so she has these rich experiences that, you know, so many students get to benefit from because of your ability um, to, well, one, you're just one of the kindest people I've ever met. And, and just so, oh, my heart. Um, I love you so much, Ruby. But, you know, you're, you're so sweet. But you know, you have these experiences that allow you to so deeply relate to not just your students, but your colleagues and um, and those folks that, you know, you are serving as leader to. And um, you are an amazing servant leader. I know that about you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, I just, uh, I just want to say, personally, thank you for being a part of my journey um, in this profession. And, you know, there are definitely um, quite a long list of folks that have welcomed me as a non-veterinarian to continue to hang around. And and in the same way that you bounce back and forth between, um, you know, Tuskegee and Michigan State, I have bounced (laughs) back and forth to the association (laughs) as well. Um, but, you know, I just really want you to know that even prior to, of course, um, this uh, um, important um, recognition with the Iverson Bell Award, I just want you to know that the lasting impact that you had with me is, is um, amazing and that I have taken that and hopefully share it with other people. So I, I just want you to know that. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank you too, Lisa, for uh, your being a part of my journey as well. I've learned a lot uh, from you. And um, I don't know a lot about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I have lived the experience. I can only talk about uh, the experience. And I'm not, um, you know, I, I, and so in my learning, and I talk about that in my uh, learning and wanting to do more is um, I have also um, wanted, I also want to do a course. Uh, you know, I want to take a, I want to take an online course to learn about strategies of DE&I. How do I, how do I recognize uh, some things that I can do better or make an impact? Because 
You know that saying is when you know better, you do better. I don't yes. know if that's a black thing, a phrase, or whatever <laughs> that might be, but it's true across the board. Yeah. Yeah. When you know better, you do better, and you want to learn and um and 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 do that. So I I appreciate your teaching me all of those. I remember when I first heard the word BIPOC. Like, <laughs> what in the world is that? What is that? <laughs> and it's Okay, for our audience, we probably need to define that. <laughs> Black, Indigenous, and people of color. So it is a um, distinctly uh, kind of American um, uh, uh, acronym, if you will, um, to recognize uh, um, the unique uh, experience of uh, Black folk in the U.S., but also our Indigenous um, uh, kin folk. And... Uh, I think that, you know, I, I predicted that language will continue to evolve because, you know, some folks are not all that cool. It's like, OK, well, two groups get a shout out. And how about <laughs> the rest of us are just kind of in this like POC thing. But uh, that is a part of the current lexicon. And uh, yeah, I've had to explain that to a lot of people. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> But it's it's a joy to be on this journey together with you as well, and uh, uh, and you keep you stay encouraged and be inspired for your voice as well. That you are also well respected, and I I just I'm humbled and honored to even uh, be with you on this podcast, so uh, that we can share our own experiences. You have a journey to share as well, and so I want to thank you for being a part of my convoluted journey, also. Thank you so much, Ruby. So I guess we're gonna. I guess I'm gonna bring this love fest to an end. <laughs> so this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on air. To my guest, Dean Ruby Perry of the School of Veterinary Medicine at Tuskegee University. Thank you so much for taking uh, an hour out of your very very busy schedule to chat with me today. Thank, Thank you. you, Lisa. Have Thank a good you. day. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and like us on Facebook. Um, And uh, be sure to stay tuned to the next episode. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.